Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to another episode of the Brainiac Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Bianchi. I'm, I'm really excited for today's episode because it's going to delve into the role of rules and referees and the roles that they play in managing concussion. And having been a hockey referee for um, six or seven seasons, I'm sure a lot of this stuff is going to hit home for me. So I'm really excited to uh, engage in this interesting conversation. And joining us for this episode is a friend of mine and the host of the Athletic Perspective podcast, Mike Jorgensen. So Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, thanks, Stefan. Happy to be here. Happy to chat about this stuff. Awesome. Just so our listeners can get a little bit of an idea of exactly who you are, I'm sure maybe some of them have heard of you because there's quite a bit of overlap between things that we talk about. But I'll just give a quick bio, um, if that's all right. So for sure, Mike. Mike is a third-year PhD student in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education. Similar to myself, I'm a master's student. He's a PhD student. We've worked together a little bit. Um, and he specializes in research on sport-related concussion prevention. He's a member of the coaching staff with the Varsity Blues men's rugby team here at U of T. He's also a former OUA men's rugby all-star. And as a longtime member of the Canadian rugby community, Mike's current research focuses on the experiences of referees in managing concussion, working with Rugby Canada to implement a protocol known as the Blue Card. The Blue Card aligns Rugby Canada with the recommendations of Rowan's Law, requiring sport organizations to have protocols in place for the removal from play and return to play following a suspected concussion. So thanks again, Mike, for joining us. Quite, quite the resume there. I know we're going to have a, a pretty awesome conversation today. For sure. Okay. And just before we get into maybe the meat of the conversation, I do want to just have a little bit of a fun icebreaker question, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Um, and it's a, it's a rugby-specific question, so we'll stay on theme. So the question is, if you could play one rugby game anywhere in the world, where would it be, and who would you play against? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. I think, I think right now, I mean, there's so many cool places to play a game. I think uh, right now, having sort of just coming out of – COVID and not having done a lot of travel, um, maybe somewhere warm uh, coming out of winter too. I know uh, there's a bunch of sevens tournaments, uh, beach sevens um, that are played down in the Southern hemisphere, which I think sounds really fun right about now. So probably there. And I guess keeping with that theme of, you know, reconnecting or doing something that we haven't done very much of in the past couple of years, probably a bunch of friends along with that. So maybe guys I used to play with or, or whatnot. 
I think that would probably be my my choice right about now. Sounds good to me. If you have friends involved in some warm weather, I mean, not much more you can ask for, right? Right. All righty. So now let's let's turn our attention back to concussions and get into the thick of things here. So I just want to start with a bit of a general overview of injury prevention um, in general. So can you give us a quick overview on the difference between primary, secondary, and then tertiary, tertiary injury prevention, just so we can ground ourselves in that before we get into our larger conversation? Yeah, when we talk about injury prevention, it's, it's a lot of the research is structured, uh, sort of looking at it in, in those three different stages, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, primary is concerned, obviously, with the, preventing the injury from occurring altogether. So with the context of concussion, it's preventing events that would lead to head injuries, such as high tackle situations and stuff like rugby or, you know, cross checks to the head, like in the NHL and so forth. Um, so things like that, trying to prevent incidences that can lead to those injuries. Secondary, uh, this, this basically comes into effect as soon as the injury has occurred or is suspected to have occurred um, and deals with the immediate identification and, and management of that sort of during that acute phase. Um, so again, with, with concussions, the big concern there is making sure uh, members of the, the sport community can identify when a potential concussion injury has occurred and then getting that athlete removed from play uh, so they can go under further assessment. And then tertiary comes along looking at the sort of long-term implications of that. So with with concussions, this could be, you know, experiencing uh, symptoms for up to say three months, six months, a year, uh, so forth. And so tertiary injury prevention is looking at um, dealing or minimizing the effects of those long-term outcomes. So secondary is really looking at get the, you know, make the athlete safe in the moment, identify and, and manage that sort of in that acute, whereas uh, tertiary looks at that more long-term and the, the sort of health outcomes that can come alongside that. Perfect. Thanks. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I think anyone listening can understand that all three are important, um, but when it comes to concussion work, um, historically, has it focused maybe on one aspect in particular of these three sort of stages of prevention over the other? Yeah, primarily the focus has been on probably secondary uh, prevention. Mm -hmm. Um, I know now there's a little more work in the tertiary prevention, looking at things like long-term mental health outcomes, retirement uh, from sport, falling, head injuries, stuff like that is is now emerging as as new areas of research. Um, But historically it's focused on secondary prevention. And I think, you know, if, if we look at this well, historically, we can see how that kind of makes sense. We don't know a lot about this injury. It's something that that happens, but we don't really know the specific causes of it, or at least we didn't at the time. We're, we're a lot more aware of those things now. Um, and so taking a uh, conservative, safe, athlete-focused sort of approach uh, makes sense. Let's get the athlete off. Let's get them, you know, recovering. Let's, let's play it safe. Um, well, until we can figure out more about what's going on with this injury. And so that's, that's mostly where it's focused on uh, up until this point. And mm-hmm. we can see that with things like baseline testing um, uh, as, as sort of emerging as, as one area. And now, now biomarkers is, is really falls into that, yeah. that secondary prevention sort of realm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's fair. And I think understandably so as well. Like some people may argue that 
more focus should be placed on primary prevention. Like, let's try and stop this injury before it happens. But especially when it comes to concussion, that might be harder than we think to do. But can you maybe speak as to why it's harder than people might think to prevent concussion before it happens? Yeah, I think often when it comes to sports, um, there's this sort of accepted standard of, of risk taking mm-hmm. that that's involved with the sport participation and associated with that is this idea that, you know, this is how the game is. This is how we're going to play it. And almost a, a culture mindset around that, where um, when you change or shuffle around rules or, or look to adjust, make adjustments on, on things like, um, you know, what, what gets penalized or, or, you know, like in, for instance, taking fighting out of hockey, mm-hmm. you could make the argument that letting two guys punch each other in the face is, is probably not very conductive to, to yeah. positive head health. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yet when you challenge that and say, Hey, you know, perhaps we should take this away. There's a lot of pushback and it makes sense. You know, you, the folks become, that's that's what they like about the sport they like that risk taking they like the aggression this -hmm. is what draws spectators this is what pays the bills in professional sports so to speak right um but at the same time uh you know it's a very simple fix that that could have uh, a big impact on on concussion uh incidence rates whereas with secondary prevention um you don't really have that it doesn't necessarily you don't need to change the dynamic of a sport uh, or the culture of a sport to have that impact um, where the focus is on, you know, preventing re-injury, preventing those long-term health outcomes. And, uh, and, you know, as, as research has developed too, um, that's as, as severe and, and serious as concussions can be, a, a lot of athletes do recover and return to play quite successfully following, following head injury as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the point you make about like, you can't, there's only so much change to a sport that you can make before there's pushback or before it's not the same sport to a certain degree. I think concussion even compounds that point because you can take hitting to the head out of hockey, which they have, which I think we both agree with, but people can get hit to the, in their shoulder and then like hit their head on the boards. Like you can't really prevent that either. So it makes it even harder exactly. when you think about concussion. Yeah. And just the, the physicality of, of sports, even if there's no direct contact uh, or, or collision sort of involved with that, you know, like mm-hmm. soccer is a, a, isn't a collision sport or the same way yeah. rugby is, but it, but it's certainly a contact sport. Two guys go up to head a, a soccer ball and what's the potential outcome. You hit heads, yeah. you, you get a concussion. Right. Absolutely. And so it, you know, that this is why in there, there can be pushback to those things. Cause it's, and which often is, is what the argument falls back on. And when I say, you know, you can't change the culture, it's difficult to change the culture. That, that's not necessarily my perspective. That's the, you know, the broader yeah. perspective of, of others, I think. I think there are things we can do um, to make adjustments that, that don't, you know, take away from the, the, what we inherently value in sport um, mm-hmm. in terms of competition and physicality. Um, but that, that's the argument that it often comes back to. Well, you know, it, it, that's just hockey or yeah. that, that's rugby, you know? Absolutely. And like the people who make the decisions tend, tend to sometimes believe, though, believe in that way. So yeah. we're not arguing with people who have the same beliefs around head injuries as us. We're often working with people who don't see the importance as much. And that, and that makes any change even harder to come by. 
Um, so I think that that's an important distinction that you make, and it, it's a good one too. So talking about secondary injury and giving some of those real good reasons as to why it's been a priority, let's move in now to your work that's focused on secondary prevention. That's the blue card in rugby. Um, so can you just give our listeners an introduction of what the blue card rule is and how it works? Yeah, so the blue card uh, has been trialed in uh, amateur rugby or domestic rugby within Ontario. Uh, it was trialed in 2019 and it's now implemented um, across uh, all levels of amateur rugby competition within Ontario under Rugby Ontario's sort of governance. Um, so uh, I'm not entirely sure if the, this will be this will include OUA. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if uh, it'll include the OCAA, and I'm not sure whether high schools will fall under that jurisdiction too, because technically they're not under the the governance of of Rugby Ontario. They're under their school boards and so forth. Um, but within the club system, um, they've implemented this blue card. And so much like if you're familiar with, with soccer or, or rugby, uh, much like uh, when, a, when a player does something very bad, a, a yellow card gets pulled, or if it's, it's really dangerous and really bad, then a red card gets pulled. Mm-hmm. Uh, yellow, you're off for a bit of time. Red, you're out for the game. Uh, and there's, there's some follow-up associated with that. So much like the carding system established in post sports um, for, for, as a sort of punitive aspect, the blue card comes in uh, as more an injury uh, recognition piece. And okay. so it says, Hey, a potential concussion incident has occurred. Um, so the referee then has the power to, to pull a blue card, uh, which removes that athlete from the game and puts into motion, uh, uh an injury sort of management and, um, tracking process. And so the idea okay. is the athletes removed from play, they get the blue card, and it's logged onto the online registration system, which is what we pull the game sheets from. And so in order for uh, a player to be named to a roster, they can't have a blue card sort of tagged onto their profile. Hmm. They get the blue card, their profile gets tagged with the blue card. And until they go through proper return to play and get medical clearance and go through that process, they're not able to be named to a game sheet. Wow. And so on one hand, it works as a way to to track potential injuries. Um, And so one of the first steps is getting confirmation or diagnosis from a a medical professional. So doctors or nurse practitioners here in Ontario. Um, And then that's uploaded. So then it's okay, here's a, a potential incident. Okay, now we have confirmation or it's confirmed that there is no head injury. Okay. It, it could be something else. And then again, that goes through the process, the blue cards removed and they can return sooner. Okay. But on the assumption that they do have uh, a formal diagnosis, then they go through the proper return to play as has been sort of established for the last couple of years now. And then at the end of that, before returning, they get the medical clearance that's uploaded, the blue cards removed and they can be named to game sheets again. Okay, that's really interesting. So. It's not only a mechanism to make sure like a player is taken care of in the moment, but because of the tracking system, it ensures that they're being rehabilitated properly. So when they do come back, there's sort of an understanding that they're healthy and good to go. And the league knows about that, not only just the team. Yeah, I think I'm hesitant to say it it sort of ensures it, but it definitely encourages it um, because there are certain... um, certain situations where perhaps they, they just don't follow return to play and they just wait a couple of weeks 
okay. then they get the doctor's clearance, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's not super robust on that end, although that is something that, you know, Rugby Canada and Rugby Ontario is looking forward um, with. Okay. And then looking at that sort of in the moment, um, when the, the referee or match official pulls a blue card and that, that athletes removed, they are allowed to be substituted. Uh, a, a player is allowed to be substituted back on, um, in that instance. Okay. So, um, and, and it's important to sort of position this, uh, from, from his more historical or, or changes over the last couple of years, because the ability to remove a player, uh, the match officials ability to remove a player due to injury or even concussion like that, that's not specific to the blue card. Okay. They've had that, the, the power responsibility to do that before, but okay. this formalizes it uh, much yeah. further by using that carding system. And then the, the injury tracking and management uh, system that sort of comes after that. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I, I feel like the card almost gives it a little bit more, not authority may not be the right word, but credibility or legitimacy where people now sort of realize that there's a role for refs because before you mentioned that refs had the power to do that before, maybe particularly to rugby. I didn't know that until I learned about your work with the blue card. I didn't know that. So I wonder if even from like an optics perspective, just having a card not only makes it um, more like visible for players and coaches to believe this is serious, but even from the outside looking in, Maybe it's something that other league can like adopt. And we could talk about that later, but now it's like, it's a formal thing. I feel like that makes a big difference. It, it definitely formalizes the process in that sense. Uh, in, in my opinion, um, it also provides this sort of tangible uh, mm -hmm. thing. You know, we're used to the carding system in rugby. We're used yes. to, Hey, there, you don't debate a yellow. You don't debate a red card. Those are things that, you know, it, it happens and you just, you know, you, you move forward. Um, so I could see it from a referee's perspective saying this adds a level of formality or confidence to the decision that can yeah. potentially be, um, a bit of gray area where it's okay. Well, uh, I saw an impact, but they seem to be fine, but that was a pretty hard impact, but they kind of grabbed their head, but, you know, and so this is why even the language around it is that yeah. it's a suspected concussion incidence rather than obviously the match officials aren't expected to diagnose or know for certain, mm -hmm. It's, you know, when in doubt, sit them out is, is sort of the, yeah. the axiom there. For sure. And just one, one other quick question about the actual implementation of the rule. So when a player gets a blue card, are they out for the remainder of the game? Or is it possible that after being um, assessed by the medical personnel, they're allowed to re-enter the game at some point? Sorry, could you say that again? Yeah, sure. So, so after a blue card let's just say a player is going to get assessed. Is there an opportunity for them to rejoin that same game or is no. the blue card like you're out for the entire game, no matter what? Yes, you're out. Okay. So um, how it works in, in domestic rugby competition here in Canada, um, there isn't, we, we don't have field side uh, physicians or team, okay. team medics. Um, we, we do have, you know, your athletic Mm -hmm. athletic therapists and, and so forth but they're not trained to diagnose right okay. it's it's nurse practitioners it's physicians and so when we look at that process um domestically there, there's just not the resources for that and and it's a lot to expect of others to mm -hmm. make that decision and so the idea is if if it's an event that results 
in a blue card being pulled, it's serious enough that that athlete, regardless of, you know, accuracy in, in that call shouldn't be going back in. Yeah. And so there's no field side head assessments or, or head injury assessments um, that happen at that level. Well, I think that's, that's fair and probably way more responsible and beneficial to the player, even though it may be frustrating. I think it's, that's definitely the way to go, especially like you said, when there's no one there to make a formal diagnosis, the worst, the last thing you want is someone coming back in if they feel like they're okay or the coach thinks they're okay. At least this now gives them no options. Like, no, you're out. And it's for your own good kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you contrast this with professional sports, NHL, NFL, mm-hmm. wh- whatever, um, you know, at the professional level of rugby, even they have head injury assessments as part of that process, but they have, mm-hmm. you know, team doctors, they have, yeah. you know, folks and the resources um, to, to support that type of decision-making. Whereas at the amateur level, uh, (laughs) you're lucky if the, you know, the, the athletic therapist isn't one of the player's moms, who's a nurse, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, especially when you get out perhaps in, in Toronto or, or the GTA or some of the more, um, developed, uh, sort of urban areas, but you get out to, to rural areas and then it's like, okay, well, not only that, but it's also an hour and a half to the nearest hospital too. Yeah. Right. So there's limitations at that level. And yet we see comparatively um, just based on how many people participate at that level, there's, there's a huge potential for, for injury, for concussion injury there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great point. Something I'm really interested to learn about now is how did you actually begin the process of working with these rugby associations to, to implement this rule? Because from my understanding, this is, is this the first time it's been implemented in Canada or at least in Ontario, correct? Yeah, in, in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. It's been trialed. I think it was developed in New Zealand. Uh, it's been trialed in a few other countries, France, uh, I, I believe the UK, a um, few other spots. But um, the blue card as, as a sort of process or protocols is relatively new. Um, and it's especially new here um, yeah. to Canada. And, and, you know, as you mentioned before, like my back, like I used to play, I coach rugby. I am mm-hmm. certified as a referee, although that came right before COVID. So I actually haven't had a chance to, yeah. to engage in that, in that role, but I'm, you know, I'm involved, you can mm-hmm. say. And, uh, and part of that, you know, as, as with any sport, I think uh, the, the rugby community in Canada is, is quite small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of, uh, part of when I started my, my PhD work um, and sort of looking at these changes coming down the line, um, I, I, I reached out to some of the administrators um, at Rugby Canada and said, hey, you know, uh, I'm interested in, in looking at the blue card stuff. I know it's been trialed. Um, I'd, it, I'd, it'd be great if I could just sit in on, on, a, a, on a meeting and, and chat with you guys about it. And yeah. so they invited me to the meeting. And then from there, um, I just kind of said, here's, here's my thoughts on this from, from a research perspective, also bringing in, you know, my experience as, as an athlete and, and so forth. And, uh, and they invited me on as part of the, the blue card working group. And, and it's just sort of developed from there. That's, that's pretty, that's a pretty cool story. Um, was there <laughs> any hesitancy on, on their part to bring in this rule or, or were they kind of on board from the get-go? Um, well, there, 
just just to clarify, I'm not the one who proposed this. This is 100% them uh, developing oh, okay. and putting that forward. Um, so the blue card has always been uh, directly a decision um, okay. coming down from from Rugby Canada. Which, knowing that they made the decision to trial it and they're interested in learning more, uh, you know, oh, I've, okay. I've worked with sport organizations before. I know sometimes resources and capacity for the research side of things um, can, can, you know, sometimes difficult. And so uh, I saw an opportunity as, as a student and, and an academic to, yeah. to offer some of my, my experience um, in that. And so knowing that their decision was to implement the blue card, I came on and sort of helped with that process okay so this was something that they had sort of been planning to do and you collaborated with them on that yeah okay so interesting and I guess that's that's like a bit of a like an omen to to them because they were seemingly still one of the first um, at least the countries to implement implement it even though it has been trialed in a few others like it's still pretty good on them to have the foresight to bring it in so that's still like really good on their part as well yeah and I think when we look at sort of the, the optics of it more broadly, um, you know, here in Ontario, we have Rowan's Law, which mm-hmm. was developed after the tragic incident of, of Rowan Stringer, who passed away um, due to subsequent head injuries or concussions suspected mm-hmm. um, from playing rugby. And so here's a member of the rugby community that the provincial concussion legislation is named after. And so I think there's, you know, there's almost a, a br- bigger sense of responsibility there for sure. Rugby Canada um, to be leaders in this too. And to say, hey, you know, let's, anything we can do is, is we'll do, or we'll, we'll try, or we'll look at. And so, you know, again, that's where I came in to help uh, sort of evaluate some of this, uh, some of the, the implementation process there um, with the match officials specifically in their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's, that's a great point that you, that you make in terms of um, kind of taking it one step further than just Rowan's law. They felt that sense of responsibility and we have a lot of respect for, for that as well. Um, one thing that, that you've spoken about is the ability for now this to work as sort of an injury tracking um, there's an injury track component to this rather than just the like, initial injury management perspective. Um, so how, how sort of effective has the initial research found that process to be? In, in terms, like with the blue card? Yeah, so there's that online injury tracking component to that. And as some of the research we mentioned, we spoke offline, looks a little bit more at how effective that has been, correct? Yeah. So um, when it's been used in other other countries, mm-hmm. uh, they use it. It's been successfully used as to, to you know get an estimate of how many concussions are happening at what levels yeah. and some details there. Um, obviously, you know here in Canada, um, it, it was trialed in, in 2019. We've been haven't been playing too much uh, yeah, rugby that's since. True. That's true. Um, I think with the trial, I believe there was seven blue cards pulled that season and it was trialed across three or four levels of competition. Um, so it's a very small sample size to Mm -hmm. to really determine any sort of, uh, effectiveness there. But, um, I think, you know, if we look at it conceptually, it, it, it will serve an, an informative role there, um, the data is, you know, electronically submitted, electronically mm-hmm. 
uh, collected. It's tied to the registration system. They can pull reports uh, at the end of season. And, and so I think on, on that front, it, it also helps um, inform future decision-making when it comes to concussion injuries. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I think the thing that sort of went off in my head when you told me about this injury tracking component is like, one of the big things with concussion research has been like, just estimates of the in, it's like the incidence of the injury, it's hard to do because we just don't have the data or there's a lot that goes unreported. So do you think this blue card and the fact that it's like a formalized thing that will go to an online system, do you think it'll like help at least within the context of rugby make more informed estimates about the actual incidence of concussion? And then, like you said, informed decisions moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we look to sports, um, it, sort of beyond rugby and, and maybe even in rugby too, uh, you know, there's this belief that if, if it's really hard to manage something that you don't have estimates on. And so this yeah. is where concussions, as you mentioned, there is, is, is so problematic where it's the estimates are all over the place. And alternatively, um, you know, where here in, in Canada, uh, sports maybe aren't as well-funded as in other nations, may, perhaps maybe hockey's the exception there. Um, yeah. But even still, uh, it, it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of resources to get to a point where you have um, you know, the electronic system set up, you have the institutional knowledge to assess the reports, you have you know, the, the, the know-how to make translate that information into action and so i think it's it's a lot for sports uh sport organizations to to, to implement something like that um but without that it's really hard to make those informed decisions and so you could be making decisions and and hoping there's a change but if if you don't measure it then then who knows right and so yeah, i think yeah. that speaks to again you know we go back to uh, secondary prevention is being so important and, and kind of being the primary focus so far. It, it make we can see why that makes sense because without that, sure. without the management, without the recognition of or accurate estimates of the injury, well, everything else, it, it's really hard to manage the rest of it. Yeah, that's that's such a great point. I think I think there's going to be. I guess I hope that there will be some more of, of this lens, like or this approach taken to some other sports, um, and then we can see some better decisions being made. Um, but now I want to talk about something a little less, let's say, not as like academic, let's say, but something I'm actually really interested in. So like having been a ref myself, I know that players and coaches get very invested in the games, rightfully so. Um, so my question is like, how has this rule been received by coaches and players? Because I can imagine a world where they aren't happy that a ref has the power to permanently remove a player from a game like based on their judgment about what is it or isn't or what could or couldn't be a concussion. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, I think, you know, we would hope that in every single situation, the athlete and the coach and even, you know, the parent, we're talking amateur sports, so the parents mm -hmm. and you know, the spectators and everyone's just on board where they see something, they see a blue car go yeah. up and everyone's like, okay, let's get this athlete off. Let's make the safe decision. In reality, yeah. that doesn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, even just talking to some of the match officials, those situations, it's not like they occur often, but I found uh, at least through our discussions with the match officials, with my research that, um, they all remembered those situations quite, quite explicitly a lot yeah. more than the ones that went right, for mm -hmm. instance, but also keeping in mind, you know, like I said, with the blue card, um, th there was only seven situations that resulted in a blue card being pulled. So it's still very novel in, in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they were able to share experiences of removing athletes uh, without the blue card because they were still, they were still able to do that okay. um, before. And, And, you know, you get things like the, the, the coaches yelling at you, the athletes, no, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. When they yeah. can't, you know, they're, they're yeah. having a tough time even standing up and then, well, okay. It's, it's close to the end of the game. Well, it's a playoff game and all these sort of things that kind of come up and are involved in that decision-making. And so I think this speaks to the value of something like the blue card that formalizes that where it, it almost takes away or uh, further establishes um, that responsibility or, or the, I don't want to say power, but essentially the, the power of the match official to, to do that, to make that decision. Yeah. So it adds and, confidence there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, that's very true. I remember um, this is like our, our, based on our conversations, like outside of this episode, something that you mentioned a lot about is like the culture in rugby. There's like a real strong culture of, of respect. I I think that co refs may feel more confident in maybe showing a red, uh, not a red card, a blue card, because there's that aspect of respect. Of course, conflict is going to happen. But I wonder if that 
that culture of really respecting officials and kind of what they say, if that makes this process a little bit more manageable, let's say. Yeah, it's hard um, for me to speak too, uh, too specific on that, mm-hmm. um, just because I didn't do any sort of comparisons. Okay. Um, so the, the, the vantage point of the comparison is just with other match officials experience. Yeah. So everyone's within that culture and even, but even, you know, even within that, it's, it's, uh, this belief that, you know, there's respect for the match official. Um, this is something that's just inherent in rugby. There's almost mm-hmm. a belief and, you know, the game's safer than it, than it was before. And, and this is, this is just rugby. Like, you, you know, you shake your opponent's hands after the game, you guys go have a beer, like all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, and yet this still happens. Mm-hmm. Referee abuse still occurs. Yeah. The coaches still yell. Um, players still think they know the rule book better than the match officials. Yeah. Myself included at some points in time, <laughs> you know, um, and I think just because there's that culture that, again, may, perhaps um, makes that experience different than the match officials or referees in other sports, um, that doesn't mean that, you know, there aren't still extreme circumstances yeah. uh, with that. And I think, um, you know, and we, and we see that when it comes to referee numbers and referee retention rates uh, yeah. within rugby and, and other sports, too. Uh, as a, you know, as a, as a hockey referee, I'm sure you can, you know, you've seen yeah. friends that were referees and don't do it anymore because yeah, of how often sure. they got yelled at. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a big problem now in, in minor hockey. If we're going to go on a little bit of a tangent, like they're, they're struggling for ref numbers just because I think there's a lot of factors. Probably. I think just the treatment is, is one of them, especially in minor, mm-hmm. minor hockey and amateur levels. Like there's no reason to to verbally assault refs in any sport um, but it seems to be happening um, more and more for whatever reason um, so that's definitely a problem to address in, in the larger conversation of refing but yeah um, even when there's a culture of respect like you said there's always going to be those instances where um, there's yelling where there's conflict and well and that's just you know I'm not to go back to my other example that mm-hmm. that's that's sport right yeah. you're asking them to be competitive and to, to forego these, you know, health concerns, personal health, uh, concerns yeah. in, in pursuit of, you know, winning, winning a game. And, and with yeah. that comes this type of mentality at times, and you can have poise, you can have, uh, all those different things and show respect for the ref, but you know, that doesn't mean you can't have a bad day too. And, and, and say, say something you regret later or have your coach, you know, see him fired up or her fired up on the sideline. And that doesn't get you a little angry at the ref to make a little comment here or there, you know? And so it's, it's complicated. Yeah. Complicated is, is is maybe even an understatement, but yeah, it it does. It does get, when you you bring in those aspects of competition, like things are going to happen. I think it's, it's the part of the game. I think refs especially accept that going into it. Mm-hmm. But I guess it does, at least from you know your experience as a player and my experience as a ref, it takes a toll sometimes. So, but I think because that's just a, it's a part of sport. Like I, I don't know if we're ever gonna get rid of that. I don't think you can. So it's there's a bit of acceptance that needs to happen there too, to a degree. Yeah, and I think and that's one of the differences I I feel um, around the way rugby has the rule book sort of laid out or established. Mm-hmm. It, it it's you know it's the law book. 
And, yeah. and I, I, I've heard before that it's not rules, it's laws. And that's because, you know, you can, you can debate laws and it's the spirit of the law rather than a firm rule. Yeah. And so there is, you know, you might see a guy get, get chippy behind, behind the referee's back or, or something happens, but it's not material. And so it doesn't get called. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the game management in, in rugby uh, compared to, to some other sports is, is quite different too, um, which yeah. plays into that respect for the, the match official and, and the broader sort of, respect as a value that's that's really imposed there in rugby mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a great point and now that we're on the topic of refs i want to just turn attention now to your research specifically and so broadly based on like the work that you've done and the referees that you've talked to how have they like, found their experience um enforcing this rule and what are their overall opinions on it broadly speaking i think by and large uh the, the consensus is that this is good it's okay. a step forward. Um, they like it. They like the idea of it. Newer, younger match officials, less experienced match officials like the idea that it, it, it yeah. gives confidence to their decisions. Um, older match officials will sit there and say, well, you know, I always had the power to do this. I don't, I don't know what difference a card makes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, it's just something new from what they've been doing for 20 years uh, is that they have to now pull a card for something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and, and now fill out a report. But, but that's the consensus regardless. They're like, okay, this is good. This is positive. Uh, this is going to help um, inform future decision-making. This is going to make, you know, n- newer match officials have make their job a little bit easier. And, and maybe with the formality of, of the card system, um, it'll mitigate some of that referee abuse that, that comes yeah. within those decisions is, is yeah. the thought again, it's this coming season. Um, so uh, summer 2022 will be the first year that it's fully implemented mm-hmm. um, across all levels of, of competition. Um, so that whether that's true, that remains to be seen. But I think, yeah. you know, the trial went well. Um, the thought process went well. Um, there's been a lot of work going into develop and, and get get ready for, for this to be implemented um, completely in, in Ontario. And so uh, positive steps there when it comes to, sorry, go on. No, sorry. You go go ahead. I was going to say when it comes to concerns, uh, some of the concerns are around, were around, you know, legality and and liability Mm -hmm. associated with that. Um, which really just comes down to, uh, good communication coming from the sport administrators on, mm-hmm. on what the process is, um, what the, what the liability looks like, how, you know, they'll be supported and protected in situations where, you know, maybe a blue card, uh, an athlete was concussed, but they didn't pull a blue card or, or whatever, you know, cause situations even above that, uh, situations could happen there. And so obviously there's, there's lots of concerns around that. Um, mm-hmm. Also extending that our previous discussion there on match official abuse that that it, uh, sort of came out as uh, another concern um, with that, but I think by and large uh, the the consensus was was positive. That's that's exciting news, honestly, because I think you know, the governing bodies can you know, do all they want to make to make rules, but at the end of the day, the officials need to believe that those rules. I mean, Regardless, officials have a responsibility to enforce the rule, but but let's not be naive here. Sometimes if a rep doesn't agree with the rule, they may be less likely to enforce it. So I think the fact that they 
um, appreciate the rule and are on board with it is going to make it even like, that much more successful. Yeah. And when we look at rules as a means of sort of primary prevention or mm -hmm. secondary prevention there, um, involving stakeholders like the match officials in the decision-making yeah. process in, you know, even in, in research mm -hmm. and, and the, the working group and, and so forth, as we look to develop and implement the training materials, all of that stuff um, really helps solidify that, hey, we're all in this together. We all yeah. want the same outcome. Um, let's, let's work towards this. And, and this is one step that we can do. Yeah, that's, that's so, I think that's, that's beyond vital is including them because if you can't make decisions about rules without involving the refs, because at the end of the day, they're like, like we talked about the people enforcing those rules. Um, so they need to be involved. I think it's great that rugby Canada made that step. I hope that's something that other like leagues and governing bodies learn from because I think that's um, a prerequisite to any successful rule implementation. Um, and just again, continuing on with the ref experience, one question that I was thinking about is that this is a big decision that they would have to make. And so have they expressed any difficulty trying to like discern or determine whether something actually could or couldn't have been a concussion? And if so, is there like an education piece that they might get alongside like their training? Yeah, so there's um, there's some e-learning modules okay. that that have been developed. Uh, World Rugby has concussion specific training um, for for match officials and and coaches and so forth, and all of that again falls under uh, sort of the mandatory um, pieces of of Rowan's law in in, in Ontario yeah. anyway. Um, but broadly, Rugby Canada has that implemented across um, all levels of of Canadian competition. Um, and so there are training there, there is, there is education and training to help with the identification, uh, got to know your signs and symptoms, mm -hmm. uh, some questions to ask what to look for. And this is where, um, you know, match official, uh, sort of training seminars, I think will, will sort of start happening now mm -hmm. that we're returning to competition where, you know, six or seven match officials might get together and discuss the blue card on a weekend, watch a game together, sort of game film or, or in person and, and talk about the process after if there was a blue card, if not, what to look for, what not to look for. And so there's lots of um, match official communities, even, you know, okay. within uh, not just within um, like rugby Ontario sort of governance structure, but even more regionally, you have within the GTA, within Peterborough Kawartha's, within um, the, like the Ottawa area and so mm -hmm. forth. And so um, there's, there's these development seminars that, that sort of help with the, the practice uh, side of things. And, you know, when it comes to the, the education and, and concerns about making that 50, 50 call. It's if, yeah. if you're thinking, if you should make the call, you just make the call. Yeah. Obviously that that's easier said than done in certain situations. Um, but that's, that's the sort of language or direction that's coming uh, from, from rugby Canada and, and world rugby um, is if, if you have to, if you're debating whether you should make the call, you should probably just make the call. And, and, and that's come up in the interviews too um, with mm -hmm. match officials where they've said things like, you know, oh, well, I'm not a physician. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what this looks like. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not even the, the most medically qualified person on the field. We have our athletic therapist. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, 
you know, they, they recognize the limitation of, of that. But I think this is where, um, even though the match official is the person to pull that card, it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be a decision made in a vacuum. You have okay. coaches, other players, captains, the athletic therapist, like whoever else involved to help facilitate that decision making as well. So it's okay, you know, I didn't get a good look at it. And you have to keep in mind with rugby, it's one match official and 30 guys on the field. Yeah. And, and maybe you have ARs on each on each sideline. Um, but maybe not. Maybe it's just a guy from each team running a, a flag, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if they're mic'd up and they have ARs, it's okay. Did you get a, I, I just saw the guy down. I didn't see, was that a contact to the head? I see he's holding his head or he's covering his face. What, what's that look like? Or what's mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, uh, sh- she went down really hard. It looked like she took a big hit. Uh, but, you know, med medical, can you come out and take a look at this? Uh, what are your thoughts? Okay. Then okay. you go up and you can kind of consolidate, ask a few more questions yourself as, as the match official. And so th- this doesn't happen um necessarily as they had the final say but others can help inform that decision yeah. and i that's i think that that's that's so important because like even as somebody who you know, does school on concussions and i know maybe a little bit more than let's say the average ref about concussions i, I would even still feel a lot of pressure or a little bit uncomfortable having to make a tough call like that especially if i'm on my own um in the case of rugby so i think having that collaborative aspect and having maybe the opinion of an AT or a player who saw the hit would go a long way to making any ref feel a little bit more comfortable, especially when there is that understanding that maybe they're not the most qualified person, not qualified, but most knowledgeable person. I think that, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's such an important piece. Um, It will probably really aid in like the effectiveness of the rule itself. um, Yeah. Well, and I think it, what it does is bringing in those other perspectives and and allowing that type of support um, also just establishes that, Hey, you know, injuries and concussion and and player welfare isn't, it's, it's a community wide concern. It's, it's not a match official concern. It's not a player concern. It's, it's a rugby concern. It's a sport concern, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. for sure. And kind of building on that, um, idea of it's a sport concern i want to wrap up our interview just with this this last question i think it'll be a good piece to leave off because we mentioned it a couple times that this is a really important step that rugby's taking but we do both think that there's room for other sports to take a lead to, to learn from this and sort of take a lead in their own respect so do you think other sports can and should learn from the blue card rule and, and adapt it maybe for their own use in the future yeah, I think it lends itself well to the amateur sport level. I know, mm-hmm. um, obviously, sports like uh, soccer uh, with a carding system already established yeah. uh, probably transfers quite quite effectively um, to that context. Um, though, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, the a guy falls down and holds his head trying to draw a penalty or a card or something on true. the opponent. Um, maybe... Uh, maybe some tactics change in, in terms yeah. of uh, high level soccer. Um, but I, th- I, th- I think there is lots to be learned from here, even uh, if it's just the, the concept of a blue card um, and the resulting injury management and injury tracking yeah. system. Yeah. Um, 
worked into whatever style of uh, you know penalization or or whatever uh, each sport respectively has. I, I think as a concept, it, it's quite transferable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think soccer would be like a great um, a great next step in terms of sport. I think soccer is sort of underrated as a a high risk sport in terms of concussion you talked about it elbows are flying balls are getting kicked in people's faces like head-to-head contact is more common i think than we'd all like to admit that it is um so yeah i think there's so much to learn from this for other sports i just hope that that actually comes to light um because i think it's so vital just to protect athletes especially at the amateur level like you said like injuries are more important protecting injuries are more important than who wins this game on a monday night um, between a bunch of 15, 16 year olds, right? Like we have to, we yeah. have to that perspective is so important. Um, so I think, I hope that there's a lot of learning done here. Yeah. And I think that just gets to the the sporting values, you know, you, you get something, if, if you're at the professional level and you have the resources for the, you know, the field side medical, the, yeah. the head injury assessments, the, you know, the team physicians, whatever, um, that's, that's very different. The values inherent within that sort of sport yeah. context are very different than, you know, what I go and do on a Saturday on the mm. rugby pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to be able to play my sport until I'm, you know, a, a lot older than, than I currently am. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that is making sure I, I respect my health and respect my, my body and that Absolutely. of that of others. And so, you know, at that amateur level, I think that, you know, the long-term athlete uh, is, is something that needs to be established or, or better understood. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. That's like a whole nother conversation that we could maybe get into on a later episode, but I do want to be mindful of time. Um, I know you've been taking a lot of time out of your day and I really appreciate it. That was such an insightful conversation. Thank you again for taking the time to come talk to me and to our listeners about rules, refs, and how they both sort of combine to play a big role in concussion management. So thank you again, Mike. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Just before we wrap up for good, I do want to give our give you a chance to let our listeners know maybe where they can find some of your work. They can listen to your podcast. So if you want to share some of your social media links, feel free to do that right now. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. That's where I post most of my research related yeah. stuff and also some Toronto Maple Leafs hockey commentary that there I'm go. Yeah, vastly under <laughs> uh, under educated on for the most part, <laughs> but I try hard. Um but I think, yeah, in terms of uh, the podcast and blog, uh, it's The Athletic Perspective uh, at theathleticperspective.com and on, on Instagram and Twitter as well. So feel free to check that out. Um, if, if you're interested, uh, you can go and, and learn more about that uh, on the website. But um, yeah, taking sports science, chatting with athletes and, and researchers uh, about those topics and sort of breaking that down a little bit. But uh yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And for, for our listeners, I've, I've listened to quite a few of Mike's episodes there. If you like this podcast, I'm guaranteeing you like that one. So please go give them uh, give them a few listens. I think it'll be well worth your time. And with that, I think that brings an end to this one's episode. So thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at concussion.can.toronto. And we'll see you next month for a brand new episode. Take care. 
Head Check Health bridges gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Trek Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada who rely on Head Check Health to improve communication and optimize care. Visit headcheckhealth.com for more. The music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 